Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics that originate with the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I am Sean Farrell, and with me is my brother, Matthew. Hello, everybody. He is the witness to the long, unwinding story of how I assaulted my laptop. This week, we're going to be talking about his most recent video, which was actually a home studio tour and how he has his home office set up and recording his his videos and basically uh, demonstrating that he has a mini studio in a mini room, which makes for very close quarters and probably at times very uncomfortably hot. <laughs> yes, it, it can get a little toasty in here. It can time. get toasty, I bet, with, yes. with uh, what is effectively Klieg lights sitting above you. Well, the, the, the LED lights actually are not as hot as something like that, but I sometimes have to turn off the HVAC system because of the fan noise. So then the air gets very stagnant. <laughs> just like, right. It's like, by the end of a shoot, sometimes I'm just like a sweaty mess. <laughs> it's a good thing you don't have hair. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of the Great British Bake Off in a couple of episodes recently, which were filmed in what was clearly an uncomfortably hot british summer they kept talking about how warm it was in the tent so i used uh you know, I, I went to google and i was like what is 30 degrees celsius converted to fahrenheit and it was roughly around 80 degrees but they're mm-hmm. inside a tent so on top of the normal like it's with, with ovens outside but they're in a tent with ovens and the sun beating on the roof it probably was close to 95 or maybe even higher than that in that tent the host's as they would be introducing segments, looked like they had just run a marathon. Their hair was plastered to their head. <laughs> and it's two it's two women who normally look very coiffed and their hair looks very nice and put together. And they looked absolutely miserable. And uh, they would go around and talk to the various people and everybody's faces were very flushed. Their cheeks were very red and it was very clear. Nobody was having a good time. So I can imagine for you, you have no hair. You probably yeah. walk out of the room looking fine, but feeling miserable. It's basically what it is. Sometimes I'm a little flushed. So some of my episodes, if you watch from the beginning, I look kind of even. And then by the end of the episode, you may see my cheeks are a little rosy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> so what I wanted to talk about on this episode of the podcast was less about a deep dive into your setup because I think your video and your setup speak for themselves. But I think that what I wanted to touch on was a little bit of the mindset of getting into a work from home situation, which you did talk about briefly in the video. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Talk about that a little bit more and then also just jump off again into our semi-regular how are we staying sane? What are we watching in the midst of the pandemic isolation period? So to start things off, let me just ask you about how long when you started working from home did it take for you to realize I don't know how to work from home? (laughs) Well, when I was working at uh, GSN, the Game Show Network making video games and I was able to work from home one day a week, I very quickly started to, it took several months for me to kind of start to find a rhythm where I wouldn't get myself distracted. But that was very different from when I was full time at home. And that was a completely different beast, which I know you're experiencing right now. But it took me probably, I don't know, two months to kind of get into kind of a, a rhythm where I realized, oh, I have to get up at the same time every day. I still have to get dressed like I always did every day. I still have to go through these these kind of like subconscious routines to get my brain clicking into you're supposed to be working right now. Yeah, it's, it feels like the two-month period that you're talking about is what I'm just reaching now. And it's for me, it's I've picked up on some of the advice you've given in the past, which has been focused on have a routine, have a location for working and and to invent our way of doing this and my way of doing that and it was probably a coping mechanism was largely just to try to imitate the normal working station so i sat down at a computer i sat down at this computer for eight hours a day despite the fact that at that time not a lot of work was coming into me because everybody in the various departments was starting you know they were 
piecing things together on their end. So I wasn't actually getting work that would fill eight hours, right. but I sat there for eight hours and it right. was very obvious that I didn't know why. I sat there with a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. And I was also sitting at my kitchen table. I was sitting in a chair I do not like. I was sitting and I sat there for eight hours a day for several days until finally I realized I am crippling myself. Yeah. And it was many <laughs> weeks before uh, my girlfriend and I had a conversation where she was trying to piece together her work environment in the same way. And finally, we had a conversation which was, let's buy a desk. Let's buy a desk chair. Let's actually put together a home office. But we did that largely for her. I continued to operate from a perspective of I can make do. And it was literally just this past, it started probably after her desk arrived. I started working at, I don't know if you remember this, Matthew, grandma's old desk, which was, oh, yeah, yeah, it was purchased in the 1930s from it's Woolworths. Very small. It was painted blue, but I started working at that. And it's actually with a laptop, it's a fine size. So I'm fine at that. And I s started to realize it's in a location I never sit. It's a desk that I never sit at. Right. And I was using a folding chair. And just having that set up, I started to realize, oh, I've got a workspace now. And my work environment started to feel normal. And then I took the next step at just the beginning of this past week, which was I bought myself a desk chair. So now I have a legitimate desk chair at a desk with a workspace that is defined just for work. And this past week, I recognized that I'm able to click into a work mode so much better. Yep. So much better. And, and it really kept going back to, I remember your advice around have a place that you do it where you don't do other things. You can't, I can't sit on my couch with my laptop on my lap and get stuff done. I can't sit in the room where my PlayStation sits because the PlayStation just whispers, Hey, Hey, Destiny. I'm over here. Destiny. Remember me? Yes. Destiny. Yeah. And the fact that this computer is a computer I only use for work. You know, I'm not, I'm, and, and I see, I see my son struggling because without going to school, he's not at school. And yeah, his, his brain is not clicking into his brain is not mode. clicking. And, and there have been a number of conversations, uh, between me and his mom, which have been, she's like grinding her teeth around. Like he's not taking work. He's not taking his schoolwork seriously. He's not, he's not focused in. He's not a self-starter around it. And she's not wrong, but I'm looking at it and thinking, I know why, because he's on a laptop that has steam and his video games. And it's the computer that he likes to use for his decompression time. And he's in his room and he's Those distractions are one click away for him. They're, it's, they're not only one yeah. click away for him. They're, they're already there. They don't even yeah. need to be clicked. He's waking up in an environment where this is home. This is not school. And for a teenager, and like it took this adult two full months to finally say, you know, maybe I should buy a chair for myself yeah. that would actually be conducive to me doing my job. <laughs> How can I possibly expect this teenager to be a self-starter and motivated to say like, I am going to go do that science homework. Yeah. It's, it's such a difficult space to be in as, as a society, you know, culturally we are not accustomed to this and it is absolutely something that we could become accustomed to. You know, working from home as a reality is growing and that's a good thing. And there are definitely benefits that I saw right off the bat for me personally in a work from home experience, which I don't want to let go of, you know, the, the regained time, the time I don't spend commuting, the decompression I'm able to feel immediately when I say, oh, it's 430, it's five o'clock, it's quitting time and immediately being able to let go yep. of a lot yep. of stress and feeling like I'm me, I'm me in a way that I haven't been in years. And that's great, but it is, it's a steep learning curve. And so your video, I think is a wonderful demonstration of if you are going to work from home, it doesn't mean you're at home. No, you really do have to create that environment for yourself. Your office does look like a studio. 
your brain has to click into that gear. And I've also found like, I still sometimes will sit on my couch, uh, mainly when I'm writing scripts. It's like, I, it almost doesn't matter where I am when I get the script writing mode. Um, but like I use my iPad, I have to remember to put it into do not disturb mode because push notifications are the devil because yeah. you're trying to do work, text message notifications or Twitter notifications right. or anything. Coming you're in. probably getting it, a text notification from me that's like, hey, you want to play Destiny? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's also one of those things of I I need to focus and it makes it very hard for me as you know, you know, a content creator. It's like I want to be more engaged on Twitter, but it's hard for me at times because if I'm engaged in Twitter, it means I'm not fully engaged in writing my next script. And so there are times where it's like I won't look at Twitter for 14 hours. And then when I finally do go to look at it, it's like I feel like I've missed a whole bunch of interesting things but i had to do that or right. i wouldn't got that script done so it's, I also, you have to find that balance yeah you have to find that balance and i also like what i'm hearing in you is something that i also hear in my own head which is as a creator of something and for you it's the videos and for me it's my my fiction mm -hmm. um if you are doing it all yourself that is a lot of different hats to wear yeah. and the pr <laughs> side the publicity side the marketing yeah. side is a full-time gig in itself and it's very difficult to do and i know for for me my i've got four books that were published uh all four were published up to this point all of my writing has been published by publishers which means i had a professional editor i had a publicity department marketing department all that was in the publisher's hands and i always had such relief around that because i don't have first of all the experience and i don't have the time in a lot of cases and right now i'm on the verge of self-publishing something which is both exciting and nerve-wracking for me yes. because i'm yeah. at that verge of like okay i'm i know i'm going to self-publish this thing I believe that it's ready and I want, I want it to be out there. I want people to be able to read this thing and okay. So when I put it up there, I can't just put it up there and walk away. What do I do around that? And right. okay, what do I need to do? I need to do these things. I need to, to push a little bit. I need to, to put on these different hats. Do I have the time for that? Because I do legitimately have a full-time job. And so it becomes, okay, when am I going to do that? When am I going to do that and have, decompression time and parenting time and something as simple as cooking dinner time it's yeah. all those pieces have to fit in around and it's and it is it's occurring to me that what i need to do is literally set up a schedule for myself of have a couple of hours that i put away no different than the writing time that i find for myself in the morning right take a couple of hours in the week and say okay here's four afternoons where for 30 minutes I'm going to go do these things in order to promote the book and treat it with a seriousness and a schedule, um, which for me is I'm like my son in that way. I am very much the wake up and kind of go with the flow sort of person. And the idea of a regimented schedule is something that I do not does not come naturally to me i'm not that person it, it's the same thing with me it's like i as an independent creator if i'm i have to wear like you just ran through i have to wear all the different hats for all the different jobs for what goes into what i'm doing and it's 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 too much i can't do it all so i'm kind of half-assing most of the stuff right. <laughs> i'm trying to do and it's it's hurting me it's hurting my business but I don't have enough money to hire people to help me. So I'm still having to kind of muddle through it. And about two weeks ago, I finally bit the bullet. I started getting some sponsors for some of my videos and it, it's allowed me to hire somebody for the first time. And I've hired a researcher that's working for me right now on a video that's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. And he's, it, it, my wife commented to me the other day like she said you seem much happier <laughs> it's like right i was like i feel free right now it's like i have somebody that's actually i told him what i was trying to look into gave him the specifics of the script i wanted to create i had a basic understanding of things but i needed the help getting the details the research down 
And now he's even helping me to shape the script together based on the criteria I gave him. Right. And now that allows me to focus on other things that have to go into my business. And it's like, it is so freeing. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you how stressful it is, especially when you're a company of one. If I'm not working, nothing is getting done. Right. And so I basically work seven days a week. I've been doing this for months and months and months now. It's not sustainable at the rate I'm doing it. No. But I, I keep looking at it as it, there's a light at the end of the tunnel when I can finally get to the point where I can pull more people in to help me. And so it's like, I can imagine you're in a similar position with your self-publishing. It's like, you're having to wear many hats. You can't do it all. When do you pull more people in to help you yeah. with this? And yeah. who do you pull in and who do you trust to pull in and all that kind yeah. of stuff? There's a, there's a lot involved when you're, you are the creator, you are the owner, you are the business. It's, it's very, it's, it's a very different way to operate. Yeah. And it's a different, it's a different way to operate. And it's also a different set of expectations that you have to put in front of yourself. Um, I imagine for you as a video creator, I know for me as a writer, uh, there's a certain point where, and this is the mindset from several years ago of what does a finished, a truly finished book look like. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I started my publishing career, it was a finished book looks like a book. You know, you are handed a book and right. that is a finished right. thing. And that meant a publisher and that meant a process that included all these various stages of uh, querying and moving forward in a certain path and finding certain people to help you and then getting into a certain place with publishers. And I still aspire to having those relationships and doing that with certain parts of my writing. But I have other things that I've written that don't fit in that path. And there's different paths that are available now. So one of the things that's come is not only a different way of working, but a different way of setting expectations. A book does not necessarily mean a book that you hold in your hands now a book can be something that somebody purchases electronically somebody has it in an e-reader um i'm still thinking in terms of like well I, I need to design a cover because that's part of the marketing you want it to be eye-catching you want it to look like somebody put effort into this so now i'm the graphic designer so i'm like okay now i'm a graphic designer which also means i'm part of the marketing team Yep. Uh, so it's like, and setting expectations that are realistic. Like, what am I hoping for from this? Am I hoping to be able to buy a car with the proceeds? No. I just would like to know that people have access to something that I think is worth reading. I think it's an interesting thing and I want them to have access to it because currently the only person with access to it is me. So I could email it to everybody I know, or I could make it available online and I've chosen that path. And so it's like, okay, I've got that journey. That's a different type of experience, a different type of publishing experience. And it'll be interesting. It'll be, it'll be rewarding in its own way. And ultimately my goal is to share the work. So by setting that as an expectation, I feel like it's going to be very hard to fail at that, which is good. Right. I imagine when you started your channel, you had to have something similar in mind because it was your, your story YouTube sounds, has a billion people on it. <laughs> your story sounds very similar. It's like, I mean, you know, Sean, it's like for a long time, I wanted to be a director in film or television yeah. for a very long time. And I was going to school for that and got burned out and ended up going a different path. But I've always wanted in the back of my mind to do that. But doing that meant going to L.A., you know, working as a production assistant for years and working your way up and trying to, you know, schmooze and get to know people to get the right job and all that kind of stuff. And I had zero interest in doing that, even though I thought it'd be really awesome to make a movie that ends up in theaters or make a TV show that ends up on like NBC or CBS. But that was, I never wanted to do the things that you had to do to get to that point. And then right. it took me for years to realize why the hell am I not making YouTube videos? Because that's also making basically TV shows that you have complete control over. You can do whatever yeah. the hell you want. But then the question came like, there's literally <laughs> hundreds of millions of YouTube channels and 
billions of minutes uploaded every like <laughs> week. Yeah. How do you stand out? How do you find something to talk about that's interest to you, but is also slightly different from what's already out there to kind of find your niche. Yeah. And so that, that was a struggle I had for a long time. And then I finally just realized who cares? Just get started. And that's why the channel was originally called undecided was because I didn't know exactly what I was going to be talking about. It took me several months to kind of find my footing and figure right. that out Zero as I went. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever think in terms of continuing that other path as well and saying like, well, I'm doing this stuff with the YouTube channel and I've got a lot of experience with that and saying like, maybe I'd make a short film. Maybe I'd do something that was fictional as opposed to uh, the, the hard factual uh, stories that you produce now. Have you ever thought about like doing, doing something in the other direction? Well, to say, you know, James Bond, never say never. It's, uh, I, I would never say no, but at the same time, I see a path to being an independent creator, to be able to do the things I want to do on my own. And I don't feel like I have to go to, you know, I don't need a Netflix. I don't need a Hulu. I don't need a Paramount Pictures or anything like that. It's like, mm -hmm. I think I can do what I want to do on my own. Um, which, well, that's what I meant. I meant yeah. within YouTube. I meant within, yes, within like, YouTube absolutely. to say like, oh, yes. I've got all this experience about how to do the YouTube thing now. I think I will come up with some sort of uh, short film or, or yes. video series or something that could be a completely different direction from this channel, but it would be a also self-produced, you know, like figure out how to put it together with whomever and then go into that direction. Yes. No, that, that's on the, the agenda for me at some point, depending on how mm -hmm. this goes, if I can get mm -hmm. this to go to a certain place. Um, that's something I want to do. Absolutely. Right. All of this is built around, um, a certain amount of self-control. And like you said, the part of it is building up habits. Um, mm -hmm you know, kind of tricking your brain into it's 9am. So therefore I am working now. Uh, I know that for me, that's been a harder process to get into gear. And, and when I say get into gear, I'm actually having an easier time with my job than with my writing right now, because I'm 9am, I'm already opening emails and, and getting myself going what has been harder is to replace what my old process was, which was I would write um, exclusively during my commute. So I wrote my, my books were written while I was commuting and on a phone. I, my most recent stuff has been written on my phone prior <laughs> to that. Insane. I did have a tiny, <laughs> I had a very tiny laptop that I wrote one of my novels on, but I wrote uh, w the most recent novel that was published was written entirely on my phone. Um, and I wrote uh, the two picture books were written on my phone. Um, working commuting was I'm getting into this train and I'm trapped until I get to my destination. So I always clicked immediately into gear of I'm on the train. Now I'm writing and I would get a solid 30 minutes going and 30 minutes going home. Uh, no longer having that commute has rescued my emotional health in a certain way, but mm -hmm. it has hurt me in another, which is I no longer have that hour of writing time. I'm now able to wake up and get my morning started and have a nice breakfast with my son and then get into work emails. And at the end of the day, I think, and I didn't write today. So having the self-control that you're talking about around being professional about your goals, I'm still struggling and I've done a better job lately than I have in the past, but it is still, it is still a struggle. I imagine that it's very common. Yeah. I was going to say, I have a solution for you. What you should do is install a subway pole in your downstairs and then over your sound system, just play the sound of this New York city subway. <laughs> and then you could hold the thing and lean against it like you normally do and start writing your book. I'm not joking when I say this. Your suggestion of listening to subway sounds might uh -huh. actually work. It would not be surprised because it's, that's what I was saying if, to you before. It's like, if you sit like 
on the opposite side of the kitchen table than you normally sit on, sometimes that trick is just enough for a subconscious getting your brain to click in. So for you, for years of riding the subway, the sound of the subway may be enough for your brain to go, click, I'm writing now. It could be. That is, I am, I'm going to experiment with that. I'm going to experiment <laughs> with that this week. And Sounds I will of report, the F train. <laughs> I will report, I will report in next week about whether or not it worked. I will, I will be honest. I will love it if it does work. Yeah. If I, and I, and finding sounds of the subway system, I mean, the sort of background ambient noise things you can find on youtube there are a million of them and it's all there people created uh starship uh ambient <laughs> like noise you're in the enterprise channels, like you're on the enterprise <laughs> so it'd be like uh galaxy class starship oh my god uh warp noise and it would just be like just the thrumming sound yeah as if you worked in the engine room of the starship enterprise yeah and and that was great. And then there was another one which was derelict uh, space station, and it sounded like you were on some slowly breaking down space station with like weird pings and noises in the background. Well, one of disturbing. the best ones. One of the best ones was a recording from an icebreaker, a Soviet or a Russian icebreaker in the huh. Arctic. And you right. hear the engine in the background and then occasionally the loud snaps of ice that were breaking. And it's oddly soothing, very strange right. and, and oddly soothing. So if I type in ambient noise, New York City subway, I am convinced that it will not be difficult for me to find no. probably a six hour long looping sound effect of being on the New York City subway. I bet you can probably even with the door noises and the announcements. I bet you can find your exact train. I'm absolutely going to test that out and I will report back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious uh, if any of our listeners are dealing with the same sort of recreation of a work environment at home and they should definitely reach out to us through Twitter or uh, the comments section of your channel and let us know how they're managing with their, their work-life balance and their home office situations. Um, and another wrinkle that I won't get into at all is the whole homeschooling thing, which is a whole, I just, (laughs) wow, that it's a lot. And I'm dealing with a high school student. Um, I, and I only have the one, and I cannot imagine the parents who are out there with more than one kid of different ages and having to homeschool multiple students at the same I have, time. I have friends that have three and four kids that yeah. are, that are <laughs> in a level of hell that I can't even fathom. I go back to something our uncle said once when his kids were school age. He once apparently said to our mother, I understand now why some animals eat their young. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like our uncle. (laughs) That does sound like our uncle, doesn't it? That's him. And if he's listening, hi. Before we sign off uh, for this episode, I wanted also to check in with you about what sorts of things are you watching right now in order to decompress after your 14-hour days at YouTube. Uh, there's a uh, there's one thing I've been watching that's been bringing me pure joy, and there's another thing that I've been meaning to watch but keep putting it off because I think it's just going to make me incredibly angry. Um, the first one is uh, Star Wars: Clone Wars season seven. I just finished, and that I've been watching the episodes as they come out, so it's been like you know thirty minutes of just pure joy every week when that those episodes hit. It's astonishing to me how good that show is. And it's it's the best Star Wars that there is, period. It's better than the movies. Not the original three, but it's it's better than any of the other movies that have been coming out. And the way that, I don't know if you've finished it. Um, have you? I have started it and we okay. are watching it when my son is with us. Okay. So we're watching probably, we've seen three episodes at this point and we're watching it probably like it'll probably be a pattern of like two a week 
Um, so we're still several weeks away from finishing. Yeah, this, the season is broke up into thirds. So there's like a pack of like, what is it? Three episodes or four episodes and then three or yeah. four episodes and then three or four episode arcs. And uh, the first two batches were interesting and kind of fun, but they felt kind of disconnected. The third one the f- that brings everything together and wraps everything up, it was some of the most exciting television I've seen in a while. It was some of the most heart-wrenching television I've seen in a while. It was just a roller coaster of emotions. And you know when you read a good book, when you finish the book and you close it up, and if it's a series of books you've been reading for years, like Harry Potter, it's like you, you finish, there's actually a moment of grief that you have because yeah. you realize, yeah. I'm not going to see these characters anymore. I'm not going to yeah. be there's nothing new after this. It's like, I'm, I'm leaving them forever. Uh, that's how I felt after the last episode. And it was just heart wrenching because it's like these characters, some of these characters like Ahsoka Tano, you just get, it's like, I fell so in love with that character and yeah. like to see how her story unfolded to the end, even though you know how she, you know how she ends up in a, other shows, Star Wars shows the way that they did it in this is just so incredible. The way um, the, the writer was his name, Dave uh, Fellini, uh, yeah. who's been doing all these shows. He is a master of this. He knows Star Wars inside and out. He knows how to tell good star, put together a good yarn. Yeah. I have to tip my hat to him. The way he wrapped this all up is just, it's, it's exceptional. It's some of the best TV I've seen in a long time. For me, um, you know, business is business. I understand that. And I was, I understood that, but was still upset when Disney took over Lucasfilm and stopped production of the Clone Wars show. Yep. Um, I knew that they had plans for an Ahsoka arc at the end of the series. And apparently a good portion of that story arc ended up in a novel, a star Wars novel that was published. That's not good enough. (laughs) And that's not good enough, but it was at the time they didn't know that they would get another shot at closing out the series in this way because Mm -hmm. season six was an abbreviated series season that Disney gave reluctantly. And then after the successes and the fan response that they've had around everything that they've been doing. And we won't get into the the fanboy response about not liking the most recent films, but um, to give a closing season in this way, I think is a really great step toward providing fans with the service that they desire. And I know that, I always appreciated the Clone Wars storytelling. I always thought it was some of the best of the storytelling. And especially for me, I haven't finished this newest season, but for me, what they did in season, the seasons with Darth Maul's character Mm -hmm. and how that was picked up in Rebels Mm -hmm. and what they did with that character in both of those series, I thought, but you take, like the fans always respond to the character who says the least in the movies like Boba Fett, (laughs) Boba Fett, you know, back in the day, he says two words to Darth Vader and people are just like, that guy's a badass. show us more. Darth Maul doesn't say a word and he's like a throwaway character. Three words to Palpatine. (laughs) Just like, and then we shall be avenged. And then everybody's just like, what do you mean he dies at the end of the movie? And for them to be able to resurrect that character and tell, an incredibly compelling story about a villain yep. that by the end you are with that character, um, the final moments of that character being a face off with Obi-Wan again mm-hmm. and you're rooting for both of them. And I thought, how do they do this? I'm sitting here thinking like, I want them both to win, but I don't want either of them to lose. How, yeah, how exactly. did they get me as a, as a fan of star Wars to be sitting here thinking i want maul to be as successful in this moment as obi-wan they did a great job of giving it's not just mustache twirling villains they actually gave him purpose behind what he was doing and you could identify with his purpose even though he's an evil man you understand yeah. why he's doing what he's doing so you sympathize for his his point of view and 
you kind of like root for him. And the, the other thing that they did was how they've tied everything together. Dave Fellini, because he also did Star Wars Rebels and he did The Mandalorian. Uh, he was one of the writers on that. Uh, everything that ties together. So evidently, there may be a, in the second season of Mandalorian, Ahsoka Tano may actually be on that show, have mm -hmm. an appearance from what I read. And there's a chance that she may get her own full live action TV show. And I read that uh, Rosario Dawson has been cast as her yeah, for the show. And it's like, when I read that, I was just like, oh, this is, oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want more Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> yeah. She's a great character. I am drawn to anything cooking. So I've been doing a lot of the cooking uh, programs that are available on YouTube. Uh, so there's Sam, the cooking guy is a guy I highly recommend. He mm -hmm. is a California stoner um, with a number of restaurants and he's very entertaining. I enjoy all the Bon Appetit videos, which are almost like a sitcom. It's yeah, a cast are. of people that clearly enjoy each other's company, have very different personalities from one another, but support each other in the work. And it really is almost like a workplace sitcom slash cooking program. And it's, I think, genius. I think they have carved out a type of programming that didn't really exist before and have invented a genre, which it's is a really, the, it's really compelling. It's very compelling because you're seeing yeah. friendships. You're seeing friendships and, you know, sometimes they roll their eyes at each other, but there's a lot of love in the room. And I, and I have a lot of respect for that. Um, and I have a lot of respect for it also from the perspective of the making of it, because that is largely a construction of the directors and editors yep. of the episodes themselves, because they are doing things with these people to make the people look good and make them look friendly make them look like a family um and the tones of the different programs within the channel i think are astounding so they're trying to approach it from a people are shut in and can't go shopping so how do you make do and then the last thing is a couple of movie suggestions uh just watched the movie last night good boys it's on hbo right now it is have you have you heard of that yes yeah it is a super bad for middle graders and it does everything that a movie that a raunchy teen comedy for high schoolers would do but it does them with middle schoolers and it tones down the humor enough so that it is actually a very lovely, almost like wonder years sort of ode to transitions and getting right. older. And I thought it was a very, very well told story about these three boys who are wrestling with childhood friendship and what happens to childhood friendship as you get older and the realities of growing apart. Even if you're still in close proximity, what if you're no longer such close friends? And I thought it was a really lovely take on that. And it reminded me by the end of it, it reminded me very much of the wonder years, very different tone. It's going for like slapstick, you know, it's, it's going for some raunch and it's going for slapstick humor at times in a way that wonder years never went that direction. But I think at its belly, it is similar to super bad in that way. Um, and it, it also is produced in part by Seth Rogen's company. And I think Seth Rogen demonstrates a real uh, soft spot for that kind of storytelling around yeah. um, getting older. And it reminded me of the movie Booksmart, which is another one that I highly recommend, which is, again, the same kind of story, but it's about two high school senior girls who have spent their years in high school very seriously focused yeah, very seriously uh, encapsulating themselves with each other. And don't they don't they it's their final night or whatever it is. And they're trying it's to the like night make up graduation the and they realize that they have kept themselves sequestered from the rest of their moronic class for no reason, because they find out that all the morons in their class are actually not stupid people. And so right. the stoner guy, uh, the. Miss Pris, 
the jock, they find out that they are going to the prestigious schools, no different from them. And, um, the, for instance, the stoner guy, they find out he's not going to school, even though he was offered a free ride to MIT because he's already got a full-time job from Google who are paying him six figures. And he was like, you know, Hey, <laughs> I figured why not? And they are jaws on the floor in response to this. So they spend their final night before graduation trying to figure out how do we party? How do we do that so that we can have that high school experience that all these people have been doing for several years? And again, it's a very smart, goes for some raunch, but it's a coming of age. It's about growing apart. It's about growing up. And it's got a very, very um, good heart. And so I recommend that one as well. I've been wanting to watch that. The the, the one other thing I was mentioning before that I haven't haven't watched it's more of a question to anybody that's listening to this if they have seen it I would love to know what they think uh it's the movie that Michael Moore has been out promoting for his lifetime collaborator Jeff Gibbs I think is his name Mm -hmm. um the planet of the humans documentary that's on YouTube right now uh it's from everything I've read horribly factually it's just wrong in many, many ways, uh, and presents information that's just very easily provable false Mm. to tell a tale that's, you know, EVs are not the future because you can't recycle the batteries, which is just false. And renewable energy is not really that clean, which is very provable false. It's like all the proof that they present is information that's 10 to 15 years out of date. Mm. Um, and so it everybody was kind of surprised by this because Michael Moore is a very left-leaning guy and it was kind of surprising that he's out promoting this movie for his friend that is so clearly just wrong and so it's like there's a lot of YouTube channels that are breaking it down and pointing out all the things that are wrong and I've been thinking about not necessarily making a video for myself about that but to watch it but I know it's going to just get under my skin yeah uh so it's it's one of those i i'm I'm trying to like steal myself to watch it because i'm i want to make my own decision about how i feel about it what i see is wrong or not but i'm curious if anybody else has watched it what they think so let us know what you think how is everybody dealing with the isolation from the work from home from the schooling from home schooling from home (laughs) let us know reach out to us at twitter at still tbd fm you can reach out to me at by Sean Farrell. You can reach out to Matthew at Matt Farrell or at Undecided MF. Be sure to watch Matthew's latest videos on YouTube from Undecided with Matt Farrell. You can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm and you can subscribe to Matthew's YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to the podcast. You can do that through iTunes, Spotify, and all the other places where podcasts are found. Please be sure to give us a rating leave a review and share us with your friends because it really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel and then the channel helps Matthew and then Matthew finally can help me. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. So I didn't want to go into a deeper explanation because I think this is worth being in the podcast is not my fault that I'm this late. I have been for a while now using a old Dell laptop, which Uh originally was purchased used from a school for my son. And it was never stable enough. It had so much of the school's, software put on it for networking and being in a school setting and for students to be able to use it safely so that it created a very unstable computer. And it basically, it, it never worked properly for him after several weeks of trying to set it up for him, finally gave up, just got him a laptop, a brand new one. And he's been using that for several years. This then went into a drawer and just sat in a drawer for period of time and i always intended to just recycle it donate it do something with it right a couple of years ago my laptop started to die 
and I realized, okay, I need, I need to use something. And I, and I thought about it and realized, well, I just need basic internet connectivity, some basic word processing, which I can use Google docs for and, and maybe find some other solutions that aren't too expensive. And I remembered this laptop. And so I went through the process of figuring out how to install Ubuntu and I put that on this laptop and have been using it now for, it's been a couple of years that I've been using this laptop and Ubuntu comes with embedded uh, open source um, document processing spreadsheets so that I can open up Word documents, I can open up Excel spreadsheets, I can do all that sort of stuff. So now I've been using it not only for the stuff I originally used it for, which was basic word processing for the final stages of my own writing, but now I've been using it for work. So I've been doing hours and hours and hours of work on this laptop. And I find myself being more and more impressed with Ubuntu as an operating system. And mm -hmm. I've really, the thing that stands out for me is how stable it is. I very, very rarely have any sort of issue with it. I think the operating system itself has never collapsed, but occasionally when software hasn't worked perfectly and I have to do a restart to get something to kick into gear, like, okay, that's, you know, that's not too bad. It happens once in a blue moon. What happened just now, the reason that I am late to recording this was I was setting up the laptop in order to, I, for the past week had had it on pretty much 24 hours a day. I would just put it to sleep in the evening when I was done working and I would just wake it up in the morning. And after doing that on Friday, I thought oh, I've got like 20 documents open. I've got 40 tabs in my Chrome browser open. So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to just put the entire thing. I'm going to shut it down completely so that it gets a good rest. So I right. shut it down entirely. So I had to start it up from scratch. Start up on this computer is a little weird because it is an old Dell and Dell does this sort of creaky old man getting out of bed routine when it's waking up <laughs> from a cold start. Uh -huh. And when then that is done, Ubuntu has to do its thing. And Ubuntu also has this sort of creaky old man getting out of bed thing. So startup is a little slow. So our time to start this was approaching i was probably five minutes before we were going to be starting i turned on the laptop and i went in the other room to get myself a cup of coffee i came back in to a completely black screen and in the center of the screen in white text and it was that sort of dot matrix text that the operating <laughs> you know the deep deep kernels of a computer operate with it's like yes. you know they, they don't it's a font that has no name and it says in the center of the screen, checking for media presence. What does that mean? That was my question. I looked at that and thought, what, what the heck is this computer even trying to do? It's, it's suggesting that it's looking for the existence of media. <laughs> and I was, I was, <laughs> Is that the computer talking to me or is that the operating system talking to me? Who is telling me? It's almost like it's asking for the meaning of life. Yes. It's it it felt very much like it was media? <laughs> it felt like I walked in and the computer might as well have said zero, one, forty two. <laughs> yeah, like I'm looking at this like I, I, I don't know what this means. So I did the only thing I knew how to do is just I hit the power button. <laughs> Screen immediately. <laughs> Turn it off. <laughs> Media, the, the message immediately disappears from the screen. And I hear the spinning hard drive stop and then start back up. So the computer is immediately now trying to restart. And that's when I look at the fact that I have plugged in the mic's USB cable. Mm -hmm. And as I hear the hard drive spinning back up, it occurs to me, this stupid computer, probably the Dell itself, I don't think Ubuntu is doing this, but the Dell itself is probably looking for, where do you want me to boot from? Uh. And 
is yeah. looking at the USB drive. Somehow the microphone, I think, was... Can I boot from you? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I boot mic now? And was trying <laughs> to do something with the microphone. Despite the fact that the right. microphone is not directly powered, I, I just have a feeling that's what's been happening. Because there was a period of time where booting up this computer was interminably slow. It was at one point, like six months ago, turning it on was literally like a 10 minute operation. I would turn it on. I could go leave. I could make a pot of coffee and come back and it would still be just starting up. And then one day I realized, oh, I have a music CD that my uncle burned for me in the CD drive. And it occurred to me one day, I think the computer is trying to boot off of the music CD. So I took the CD out of the CD drive and the next time right. I booted up the computer, the computer was like, hi, I'm ready. And <laughs> so I think the computer was looking at this stupid uh, microphone as like, I boot from you now. I boot from you. This is you. You, you boot me now. And so you I do know what this, you do know what this is saying. I need a new microphone. Or I need a new computer. You need a new computer. <laughs> <laughs> You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> So I quickly unplugged the microphone and the computer booted up. Absolutely no problem. So then I get a text from you. Are we doing this? And now I'm hurrying because now I'm 10 minutes late. I rush through the steps of like, okay, open up the, you know, open everything up. And then you and I get into the the program to be able to have this discussion. And we start talking and immediately you say to me, what did you say to me? Well, the first thing I did was just make a weird noise. Well, the first thing you did was make a no weird noise. But what did you point out the second thing you said to me? You, you sound like you're, you're using a laptop microphone. So now I'm double checking the microphone connection. I'm double checking the cable. I'm double checking everything. Everything is plugged in properly until I realize when I lean over and look carefully that the port I have plugged the USB cord into is the oh, Ethernet no. port. How did you? How did you fit it in? <laughs> I would how like did to you think. Fit it in? I would like to think that I've made a tremendous discovery, which is a USB plug is apparently the exact width of an Ethernet port. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't even think it would fit. I didn't think it would fit either. <laughs> it feels a little bit like I just assaulted this laptop. <laughs> Hey, beautiful. Like the laptop was going, <laughs> booting up now. What are you doing? That's not, no, no, no. <laughs> Bad touch. <laughs> so, so that's why I was seven minutes late. Uh huh. That was awesome. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, hello.